Welcome to the Corpus Christi Songwriter Podcast. I'm Jules. I'm Jimmy. I'm Garrett. And I'm Libby. Hey, Libby Co. Happy to have Libby with us. Thanks for being here, Libby. Thanks for having me. Virtually, virtually out in the world. So I'm trying to be a little more professional these days with this podcast, and so I was doing a little bit of don't you dare a, a deep dive into your, your into you basically, oh, and no. um, I really love your website how it's set up oh, with all these quotes. And, it is awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks. so I mean, I just want to start by reading some of these quotes here. Um, oh no, I'll be <laughs> Well, let's see here. Um, you know, like okay, so my favorites are. You're a feisty Texas songbird from the country <laughs> music people. But nice. honestly, the the one that really got my attention was like a bowl of gumbo and a mug of Shiner Bach at the end of a hard rainy day. That's great. <laughs> That's from Mike Seeley at No Depression. So all of that kind of sums up who you are in a nutshell, Libby Coke. Um, but for those who may not know who you are, how about you tell us who you are? Yeah, sure. Um, I am a singer songwriter originally from Houston. Um, and now I live, uh, outside of Austin, outside of a small town called Bastrop with my husband, Chuck Hawthorne, who is also a singer songwriter. Yeah, he is. That's a short version. All right. And you have played our festival. This will be the third time. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming up quick. I think by the time this airs, it'll be like literally the next day. Oh, nice. So it will be well, I look forward to seeing y'all tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But Libby, you didn't say though, which I think is kind of fascinating about you and that I love about you is that you are also a lawyer and you kind of do, you kind of, how do you balance that Libby? I've always wondered, you do kind of zoom stuff or how do you do it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I'll be honest, it's tricky and it's something that um, has kind of evolved organically over the past, I guess, 15 years since I originally quit my lawyer day job to um, pursue music full time, which I did and then was like, wow, I'm broke (laughs) (laughs) and massively in debt and I've got to do something to, you know, uh, I mean, I was pe- playing like 150 plus dates a year and you're know, just doing everything I can. You guys know what it's like. I mean, mm-hmm. doing the hustle. And so then I started, uh, I got a call from a friend of mine who had somebody in their office going on maternity leave. And they're like, can you come help us like a, for six weeks or three months, I guess. And I said, yes, yes, I can. And so then I started kind of working with this legal services company doing part-time stuff, uh, here and there they were basically like a booking agent for contract lawyers so um i've been kind of doing that past i don't know 10 12 years or so and then um a couple years ago went to work for a friend uh in-house uh with his companies and uh so now i work like 20 hours a week on that so it's like 50 50 but i found that it's it makes the music better because it like accentuates the joyfulness of it. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. That makes complete sense. Yeah. So it is a delicate dance, right? Like they're like, I literally was late to this podcast because I had to finish sending a work email. I thought so. I thought you were working. That's exactly. I was working. I I bet she's working. Uh huh. I was, but then, you know, like last Thursday and Friday, I was, 
off playing shows. So, you know, it, it all kind of works out and uh, it's, I, I enjoy doing both, which I didn't enjoy the lawyering before I started doing music. And now I enjoy the music more now that I'm lawyering some against, which I don't know. It's a weird thing. Maybe right. it's feeding the right brain, left brain or something at the same time. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Were you not lawyering or were you not doing any music when you were lawyer, lawyering full time? So, I guess probably hard to. Well, yes. Uh, well, really. So what happened is I actually went to law school in Nashville and that's when I figured out like I had people mm. in Nashville being like hey you're good at this you should do the thing and I was like I cannot do the thing <laughs> I've been working really hard for this law degree and you know I need to pay off my law school debts and I have a job yeah normally uh songwriting performing doesn't really pay off law school debts right yeah no. so then, or like, any debts or any debts, or any debts. Yeah, yeah. More, usually. <laughs> but, uh, Lord, if, it's, if it pays for the groceries we're lucky we're super lucky right and you know that's a beautiful thing too so i mean i don't know like uh i think any way you can figure out to make it work as an artist and a and a songwriter and make the kind of music you love like i think that's awesome yeah. Um, before you, you got to I, Vanderbilt University, is mm -hmm. correct? And before yeah. then, it, it, you, you, that's where you've decided to start exploring songwriting professionally. But um, Yeah, you, professionally. I'd done it. Yeah. Um, but you had, you, it was kind of like a hobby before that? Yeah, I started in high school, I guess. Um, I was really, uh, I was a super dork, guys. Like, I was really involved in the church choir hey, and that's my start. you're talking yeah, to three, you three dorks too so. Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh so i that's where i learned how to sing harmony and uh play guitar and kind of all of that and uh my friend taylor davis whose dad was the choir director sid uh he was like hey do you want to write some songs sometime i was like i don't know how to write songs he said yes you do come with me so my first uh songwriting experience was actually a co-write um, so, uh, he and I wrote like almost an album of songs together and then I just kind of took it off on my own. And so it's really cool. He's like, he's a real life, like a composer. Like he's, he drafts choral music and stuff now. He's Amazing. Like really cool stuff. Like, um, this choral group just, uh, recorded, uh, his like a Christmas album that was out on Decca Classics. It just came out like really, he's doing really cool stuff. So. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Oh. But yeah, you, um, so basically after, after all of that, you, you, you got into songwriting yourself. What was, what was that process like, like discovering your own sound, your own vibe and your own process? For me, it was always, and playing guitar was always for me, I would play what I would want to hear. I didn't really, I took like some group lessons early on, but I never really, you know, I would just sit in my room as a moody teenager and just play guitar. Until, you know, exactly. Right. Like obsessed with it. Don't um, all teenagers do that or I, they all do. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. All teenage guitar players do. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. With your hair uh, hanging down in your eyes. And just yes, exactly. Like, strumming. Leave me alone, mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and then just kind of pouring out all those uh 
all that teenage angst into paper. I actually found it's over here somewhere. Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, like the folder of all the little songs I wrote when I was like in junior high and high school. And oh, so oh, good. That's so amazing. Yeah, so yeah. I have this vision of going through them and being like, Finding, seeing if I can remember any of these melodies and seeing right. Like, no, yeah. I I brought this up on the last podcast. My, yeah, we talked my, about this. My sons brought over one uh, this gigantic binder, like really? like half a f- foot tall of of just old lyrics and and old That's songs awesome. and everything. And um, I just I thought it was lost forever. It was like I, oh. I got divorced and I just never saw it again. And then they brought it over and I'm. And slowly going through it, and it That's just awesome. what, what is it's this? Ex- dad? <laughs> yeah, I was like, don't read what that. Is this thing, don't read that. <laughs> you should read that. Yeah, so, so yeah. it really started for me, like as a form of like therapy. You know, songwriting yeah. has always been therapy for me. It's like getting that stuff out that you can't uh, like process in your head or heart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and getting it out on paper and putting it into a song. And for me, songwriting was super private. Uh, in those early years, um, like I went to A&M for undergrad and uh, played a few like coffee shop gigs, uh, but I mostly played, you know, covers of late 90s, early aughts kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I played Lisa a few other songs. Totally. Oh, absolutely. Stay. <laughs> you know it. Oh, so good. Of course. <laughs> um. Yeah, so then I kept writing in law school, and then uh, a buddy of mine who was getting a master's degree at Belmont in audio engineering while I was in law school said, "Hey, uh, you know, I need, I need, I need somebody to, I need a songwriter to record their songs." I was like, "I need my songs recorded," and so that ended up becoming my first record, Redemption, and we took that was recorded over the period of several years. Uh, and then I put that out myself, like as a lawyer in Houston, um, and started playing gigs in Houston, um, that started kind of picking up, got my first gig at the mucky duck. That was my first big break. Um, and then, you know, the economy kind of hit the crapper and, uh, yeah. And lawyers were getting fired left and right. And I met with a mentor of mine and I was like, what should I do? Nobody's hiring. And she said, why don't you take a year off and do music? And I was like, what? And then I <laughs> thought insane. about it and I was like, that's insane. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And then I did get fired. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to do this. Well, this solved the, this solved <laughs> yeah. the problem. This solved the problem. So yeah, I guess that was about 15 years ago. So, uh, but I, the thing is, I knew I was going to do music, so they were, like, firing me, and I was trying not to, like, smile. <laughs> You're like, oh, it's so sad. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Oh, I'm so upset about this. What oh, kind of sorry. law do you practice? Yeah, that's uh, a good question. I draft contracts, so, like... Nice. I'm not a litigator, not a trial lawyer, like... Can't get you out of a deal. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to picture you in in court, but yeah. just take that away from me. It. It's fine. No, to do that, you really have to be all about like conflict and enjoy the adversarial way of being, and that's just not me. I'm like, can't we just all get along? Right. Deal that <laughs> makes everybody happy, protects everybody reasonably well, and um, sometimes that works out. But that's usually my attitude as a lawyer i like i i like to uh 
and I and I also I just like writing and I like writing contracts too. Um and they there there's some parallels there between drafting contracts and writing songs, which are kind of funny. That's I the bet first that you should I've, write that yeah. out and tell us that. It was uh, fun uh, watching you and Terry Klein talk shop, <laughs> like lawyer shop. I was like, oh, it's yeah. like a whole different universe. Cause Terry right. Klein also, guys, that's mm-hmm. coming down from the fest is a, was a lawyer. Yeah. Um and seeing them, it's like seeing two like I don't know, people that you suddenly realize they're aliens. They're not like, they're like from this whole different, totally different practice. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? I need to hear this conversation. You know, like I personally <laughs> would not immediately think, yeah, drafting a contract and writing a song, same thing. But uh, that's, I mean, that's there intriguing. Are lots of parallels. You got to make sure everything's in the right place. Economy of words is very important. Yeah. Yes. Make sure every oh, word time. counts. Uh, don't say something twice that you can say better once. I mean, these are all things you, all, all tools you put in the songwriting toolbox, you put in yeah. the, the contract drafting toolbox. Me thinks we have someone to teach a workshop oh, no. once, what have I one done? time. <laughs> <laughs> Get Terry to do it with me. And I'll think about when it. When did you, may, oh, hey, okay. that's a good idea. Well, when did, Libby, when did you, so to go hand in hand with that, when did you fall in love with writing? Like when, when is your, can you pinpoint oh. a time that you, this is going to sound so, I don't know. I, I think it was like second grade Mrs. Shopper's class. She See, I knew you'd know on, the teacher's name, I remember. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, isn't it funny? Like, she, every Monday morning would have every, you sit and write what you did the, for the, over the weekend. And I just loved that. Um, and I think that's where I caught the bug. It's funny how, like, I, I haven't thought of that in, years and you asked that question it just took me right there good question nice nice yeah. i had a, a teacher uh, english, well all my english teachers there's i mean i could name the ones that were really influential mm-hmm. but i had one in like i think it was a freshman in high school and i'd already liked writing but this lady introduced me she's an old hippie and she mm-hmm. introduced me to the, to the band she had she had the oh, band wow. like the second mm-hmm. self-titled album she let me take it home and i was like what the hell is this? These mountain men singing these really literate songs and like, right. and just like that, that opened up my brain and, and that, and, and it's kind of tied with the writing and the music and that, and that yeah. time period. So, yeah, yeah I had a, an English teacher. Uh, this was probably third grade for me actually, where I, she caught me writing stories. Like I was just not never paying attention in class, just writing my own little <laughs> stories. And so she started inviting me to read the stories in front of the class. And it was the first time that I had an audience engage in front of me. So that experience alone changed my life. But then she also sent sent sended. I'm a writer guys. Um, sent yeah. me to uh, the fifth grade class where there was a student teacher there and, and they would just, I would have like an hour every afternoon working with a student teacher in nice. fifth grade, just That's working cool. on writing and just focusing on writing and, and English and, and That's having awesome. those experiences that young, I, I think changed the, the course of my life. Oh yeah. yeah. Big time. Very cool. Man, Sorry, I was I... way different as a kid, man. I was like, Tell us. man, I, my, my teacher took away my notebook once that I was writing. I was, I, I had this habit of like cribbing as a kid, maybe, you know, like just home alone came out and I was like, what if they made home alone two in Japan? <laughs> you know, and I was trying to write that, but, but you know, yes. but like, like, so, so I don't know, but I, I picked up Dante even then, 
you know, yeah, Dante has yeah. been nice. a constant sort of, and maybe that was the first time that, you know, so I started kind of like, oh, what if I wrote my own story about what it would be like to walk through hell? And it's like second grade. You're like, you know, I imagine yeah. my teacher was kind of like, you know, you gotta talk about this, uh, this Julio kid, you know, this, uh, this is, he's trying to, you know, but my mom came down and was like, give my kid back his notebook. Man, she was an English yeah. teacher, you know, she's like, my kid nice. can write, write about anything he wants. And yeah. so from there, writing has always been kind of a, uh, like a, a weird process of like being edgy and also concealing and not necessarily releasing everything you have, but always mm -hmm. having writing sort of stored away that's like as a body of work ready to, you know, just to drop at times, you know, whether it's a, a really long post or whether it's like, you know, a, 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 an album that you just sit on for yeah. a while or something or, yep. you know, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's as, as we, I think we all fall in love as with writing as, as, as a kid. And, and what's coming up for me in this conversation is that like, I lived in Nashville for about 10 years and, um, I spent a lot of time, uh, uh, near the Starbucks there, uh, by, you know, Vanderbilt and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and there was a, a place called Charlie's Cheeseburgers near there. Cheeseburger mm -hmm. Charlie's. Cheeseburger yeah. Charlie's, man. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, it's, oh, yeah. yeah, it's only like Nashvilleians right. that like know about that place. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. like Cheeseburger Charlie's, man, where you get the extra spice thrown on your burger because yes. it's just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I totally forgot about that place. <laughs> yeah. I just like that great cheeseburgers. Um, So, but like, Nashville is not a, I've said that, you know, like I didn't make any records as a solo artist when I lived in Nashville. I felt like Nashville was not uh, a place where a budding artist perhaps might choose to. Maybe it's a place you move to after like three records or something, you know, like and, and but maybe I, I so I just wonder as a I don't really meet too many people who like, you know, maybe start their whole process and journey in Nashville. And I, I, I can say that I did that as, as an engineer, but I certainly I didn't start down the road as a solo artist until and so maybe could you speak about your own uh experience in nashville with all sure. that comes with like that city yeah. you know and, yeah. and and beginning bravely just this whole arc into into you know it, it's wild to like to think of even trying to do that in that environment you mm -hmm. know well i think to be fair i was in kind of an idyllic bubble in a sense because I was in school and it wasn't just school it was grad school right so like I don't know I grew up in West Houston and then went to A&M and had a pretty sheltered childhood and, and adolescence and then moving to Nashville Nashville is just where I found myself uh, just personally um, and I think the music had a lot to do with that I mean you know, the, the cool thing about law school is that like there's well, the cool thing and the, the tough thing about law school is there's only one test uh, per semester for each class. So while that makes studying for finals really, really hard, it makes like the first part of the year really, really fun, because if you do, you know, get your reading done, you can go party in Nashville and hang out in Nashville and go listen to music. I mean, I saw Gillian Welch and Dave Rawlings at the station in like five times. I saw Ray LaMontagne at third and Lindsley. Uh, you know, I was there at the Ryman when Patty Griffin's live record was recorded. I mean, it, I was just in Nashville in a supremely cool time from 2002 to 2005. Um, you know, really kind of the tail end of the alt country 
you know, when you picked up No Depression on the magazine racks at Tower Records on West End. And I mean, it was just, it was such a cool time to be there as a young person with, you know, student loans paying for everything that I'm still paying <laughs> for now. And, uh, you know, having a really great group of friends who love the same kind of music who I'm still great friends with. And music was, I was playing music for fun. It's not like, maybe what's different about my experience is that I didn't go to Nashville to try to like make it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was just kind of making that record with my friend because I wanted, I didn't know how else to make a record. I mean, that was, home studio days weren't quite, quite there yet. Um, now I did go back after making, I guess, so after that, first Nashville record, which was just me and my guitar uh, and a harmonica. And like I sang harmonies on my own stuff. Right. But then the next record I made on a home studio myself. And then I made two records with Jack Saunders in Houston. And then I went to Nashville to make a like. Seriously. Nashville record where you have the studio musicians and you prep like Nashville number charts for them and they've never heard the song before and yeah. playing the song one time. And then you're all in the room. And was that just go on? Just move on. Yeah. Just yeah, move just on. on. I'm yeah. so sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. no worries. That's me not looking at my notes. I apologize. No, it's all right. And that one uh, for some weird, like it's a weird distribution thing that it's not online right now. I, I have to, I've been doing the work to get it back on, but it's like, I'm at the phase where they ask you, are these the exact master files and the exact artwork that you initially submitted when you first distributed the record? Otherwise you're going to lose all your streaming sets. And I'm so stressed out about it. Oh, <laughs> hell? I've, been, I've been like sitting on it for months. So I, I've oh got to get God. this on my to-do list. Good but, uh, Lord. <laughs> that sucks. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, I know. Um, but making that record like the Nashville way was a truly exhilarating experience. And then after that, you know, the the guy that produced the record, you know, really kind of tried to shop it around and make some things happen. And, you know, definitely like, you know, I'm proud of that record. And, uh, you know, a lot of things almost happened with that record. But I mean, the truth of it is I ran out of money, you know, mm. I had meetings with fancy publicists and that sort of thing. And they were like, all right, cool. We'd love to work with you. Uh you know, we'd, we'd love to like run your social media. We just need $2,500 a month. And I was like, say what? Uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm ooh. lucky if I make $2,500 a month just doing music. And that's why I love Adam Dawson. <laughs> I know, right? So, uh, you know, and I guess I was naive that I had gotten to a point where like they really expected me to have like investors and I just didn't have it. So, you know. But I, I'm super happy with, um, I don't know. I don't know that I would have liked it if those things had happened. I really, I, I dig where my career is now. I, I like what I'm doing. I like making music in Texas. I like being a Texas yeah. songwriter. I like being part of, and I think this is what you guys are doing such a cool thing uh, with, you know, not just the festival, but also, you know, your organization is, um carrying on the tradition of the Texas songwriter. I mean, I truly believe it's like an, an American literary art form. And uh, I feel like we're doing what we can to keep it all alive. I mean, commercially, 
commercial success at, at the scale that it used to and you know in the days of like nancy griffith and guy in towns and lucinda isn't what it used to be but you know i truly believe that we can still have um vibrant careers and and make really good music and really good art and live yeah. really, really um i mean really I, I just think we're all doing great things and i um I'm thankful for you guys for what you're doing and for, um, I mean, like, for example, if if you're listening to this and you're into Texas songwriting, like you, you're dumb if you're not at the festival. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. put together such a killer lineup and it's such a great combination of, you know, uh, regional, uh, it's just songwriters from a lot of different backgrounds and levels. And then a lot of like really great local Corpus Christi, Gulf Coast songwriters, and I just think y'all are doing it right. So high five! Thank you. There's we no shortage. No shortage of good songwriters. Yeah, we didn't pay you to That's say true. that, right? Just, no, just we, no. Yeah, I, don't. I will buy you a beer. Absolutely, <laughs> and you know I love beer. <laughs> Same. So uh, Libby, when did you do? Oh, sorry, Jimmy. No, 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 no. It's fine. Uh, well, it's I was fine. This, so yeah. somewhere around that time you did the Blue Rock, right? The Blue Rock, the live mm-hmm. album. That was after the Nashville record. Um, that album is killer. The Nashville record is awesome too, but the Blue Rock is just so like, <laughs> it's just awesome to hear you like, it's so live. And so like, it's yeah. just a, it's a great record. Thank you. Uh, Adam Dawson says that's the one he thinks sounds the most like me. And I, I think so too. I tend yeah. to agree with that. Um, and that was a cool experience. So that first record we made in Nashville, just me and my guitar, uh, when it was 10 years old in 2019, mm-hmm. I uh, got a band together and recorded that at Blue Rock. And that was so fun because, you know, it's like, do you guys do this when when you write a song like, yeah, you're playing it just you and your guitar, but you can hear all the other stuff, too. Yeah, of course. Like that's oh. that's the way that Redemption record was for me. And so the live version of that is really the way I'd always heard it in my head. Filling it out, yeah. Get yeah. to flesh it out and, uh, yeah. and was like, that in the coolest place. I know. <laughs> was that live version? It, it, do I have this right? Is that uh was that produced by Patterson Barrett? Uh-huh. Yeah. Patterson. Yeah, Patterson. Who has also played the festival in yeah, uh, 2020 yeah, played awesome. the festival. Yeah. And he uh plays in my band and uh he's just an unbelievable musician. And he really he was kind of the band leader and put together that uh that band. Um and it's a bunch of guys that he's played with for, gosh, like since, you know, Armadillo days in Austin. So mm-hmm. that was a really nice. cool experience. And that was really was really fun. Like, you know, those guys have played together for so many years. They were so tight. That's why it was so easy to do it. You know, like we did a, a couple of rehearsals and some pre-production and we just went in and did all of that. All of that in one take, except for... uh one song that I like started to play, but I I didn't hadn't unmuted my direct line, so I was oh. like, oh, we gotta start over. <laughs> no, yeah. And then the, the drummer just kind of kept like the beat, and then we just Patterson counted it off again, and we just ripped it. So there you nice. go. And that was a uh. fun thing to do uh, with. It, we did that with a live audience too, which helped pay for it, which was a cool. Oh, thing. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we sold cool. tickets to that. I. I don't remember if I did it for 50 bucks or a hundred bucks, but filled up the room at blue rock and that paid for the recording. I have my, I think it must've been a hundred bucks a ticket, but so cool. 
That's but yeah, like I highly recommend doing something like that because I mean, as you know, as you all know, and we talked about it, you know, commercial, it's just, it's hard to come up with the money to cut a record and then to put it out and do the thing. So I thought it was kind of a, uh, this, th- that particular project was a good opportunity to try something different. I was like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but it, it did. And, um, and it was fun to have that studio audience and to really feed off of their energy and the band's energy. I think that, I think that showed up in the record. So. Very much so. That's uh, in 2020. I was that the, the, that was the first festival you played was 2020, correct? Our festival. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause it was like right before the whole world shut down. We didn't realize yeah, yeah. Time was one thing we were going to do. <laughs> I just remember during that time I had your, your live album um, kind of on repeat. So Aww. that was, I really liked the energy of that one. Thanks. I see, I see Jules um, like stewing over here. Uh, do you have any thoughts? Thinking on things. I mean, you know, it's just, there's always like, I think it's, you know, I think in terms of like, it's like a three-legged bar stool of like, <laughs> You got to have a bit of a day job, career trajectory, and then you have to have the art, and then or a rich dad, or yeah, or a rich, rich dad, dad right? I mean, is always the way to go. Um, but you know, there is kind of a balance too that you've mentioned, yeah. and sometimes like yep. all the time in the world leads to no urgency for generating mm-hmm. material, and then sometimes mm-hmm. having only a set amount of time makes you sort of maximize what little time you have and is generative, you know? And um, so so I just, there, there's so many things I could ask you, but given that this is like a, you know, a songwriting podcast, man, like you mentioned the earlier about how you were kind of happy with like the both sides of your brain being fed by lawyering and by uh doing the music thing and and um like under what conditions do you find yourself most uh prolific i suppose Uh, it's hard for me that is one of the challenges about that kind of swapping back and forth with it is that it's hard for me to yeah it like it's hard for me to carve out creative time so Mm -hmm. What I need to do, what I find that I have to do is be super intentional about doing it. And typically what works best for me is like really making myself go somewhere for like a weekend or a week with like, so like this is my big, my little magic notebook with like my planner and then it has like my lawyer notes and then in the, and then it has my music business stuff and then it has like all my songwriting journals. So then I can kind of swap them out when they get full. Um, so, nice. you know, you get all the little bits of ideas and you've got the like the voice memos on your phone. And then, you know, I kind of like just collect those in little bits. And occasionally like a fully formed song will just pop out one day. But usually I have to like go just get in the groove and it takes me a few days and I'll bust out several songs. Um, mm-hmm. But I really have to like set aside time to do that. I think uh, Jana Pokop and I are going to go do something like that uh, next month. We're hoping we're trying to get on the calendar and go to Colorado and do that. So um, take me with you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jana's playing Please. the festival too. She yes. She's so cool, man. 
is. She's think, someone I'd like to co-write with one of these days. She's just, I just like, love her style. Trying to get her to do this. Mm. <laughs> I, think I think she's that, like one of the most brilliant cerebral like. She's so her best, lyrics like, are so good. Uh, yes. Yeah. I always think the I just like, I just, she, uh, her lyrics are just take, take you to a place you never expect to go. Yeah. That's all I was going to say. All yeah. right, Garrett, you can, you can. Oh no, I was going to say they're really, she's so evocative. Like she's so mm-hmm. good about give like kind of narrating a story and it kind of, you know, like just the way she like utilizes juxtapositions to make these new kind of interesting things. We've kind of talked about that a little bit, but then I think, so what's interesting about all these podcasts and Libby going back to what you're saying is like, if you're a songwriter, you, I mean, you kind of like, none of us really get to do this full time and make all the money that we should be making, but like making a practice of it. Like it's Mm -hmm. the thing that it seems like, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the practice is the same. You just have to, do it. You have to you be. You got to figure out what works for you. Yeah. You know, like Jules, yeah. I envy, I envy your ability to, you know, to like get that uh, bulk of work done and like have it on deck. Like I've got nothing on deck. <laughs> you know what, man? It's like, yeah. I mean, thank you for mentioning that, but you know, it's. I'll tell you that I, I think it's, it's an odd type of discipline that I've sought to try to cultivate, and and what I mean by that is that like. There's like a content incontinence that an artist feels when they have when they have the content. Title the episode. You know, they, 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 <laughs> oh, ha- they must release it. Um, you know, and, but it, but but when you release something, I mean, I feel like I mean, I don't take a gig unless it has a certain like. Okay, so like I have a system, man. It's like scale of one to ten. Am I making money? Is it good for my career? Will I have a good time? Scale of one to ten on all three of those. If it scores above fifteen, I'll do it. Okay. You know? okay. See, mine's nice. the same thing, but the answer I have to say yes to two out of those three. Okay. That's, okay. Yeah. Unless it's just a nice. lot. Right. So, 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 <laughs> so, like the, the so the point is, is that like if you're going to release something, it's got to score high on similar metrics of like okay. is it strategic, yeah. tactical, is it is good timing, whatever, you know. And sometimes you're just like fuck it, surprise EP day. Yeah, you know, um, but she and, did. He did that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. and and I'll do stuff like that without a shred of marketing because I'm like, okay, I can generate stuff. Like I do, I generate a lot of stuff for various mm-hmm. people. You know, so so because it's 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 like this. If we all have to be a singular promoter, artist, mm-hmm. writer, yeah. you know, everything, right? We, it does a lot on yeah. the, the modern yep. artist's shoulders, right? If we all have to do that, then we all should have some way of generating and keeping on hand something. And I'm not saying that I have anything now, right? I've released singles and album release now and stuff, you know, like that they could have been more strategic with singles or whatever ahead of time. But that's just, you know, there's a certain like, I don't roll that way. I just, it, it's anyway, but there's a system and then sometimes there's not a system. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, yeah. There are no rules anymore. Like, yeah, if you want like to borrow a phrase from uh, Jana, as long as it feels right. 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 It right. feels right to you. And I yeah. think that's so the flip side of the songwriter economy or lack thereof or <laughs> is is that. Just do what you want. It's art, yeah. man. Like, yeah. throw some spaghetti up against the wall. See what sticks. Like, if if you're making the music that you want to make, you know, 
I figure we ought to be doing it without compromise, uh, you know, to the, to the highest extent possible and yep. doing what, what floats your boat, what lights your fire, you know? It's kind of like if you go, so one of the things that always, I love Kerrville and one of the things that always upset me about Kerrville is that I would hear these people around the campfire playing these gorgeous songs and then they give me their album and it's yeah. this overproduced, yeah. like produced for this radio play that no longer exists. Like what yeah. are we gearing these recordings to? You can, you can do whatever you want. We're not having to gear towards AM radio or anything right. anymore. There's nothing. Do what you want. <laughs> so like, right. Like I've decided I'm not going to make an, another record that doesn't, feel hundred percent like me. Like, why would I do anything other than that? Like, there's no point. No, I will not like, we don't have giant record labels. Should, like have anybody else tell us what our music ought to sound like. Well, like, you know, I will, I will tell you just as like, because I, I've been thinking and stewing on this particular issue about like in today's ever more congested media ecosystem, as mm -hmm. we release digital content out into what seems like a digital ether, you know, yeah. Um, as we just release and things get more congested, and 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 it, it, you know, there are like I found myself today. Like I I produce another podcast called Working People, and we make these little videos with every episode that go out. And one thing I realized was like subtitles are a whole different game now, right? Subtitles mm -hmm. are like they right. must be word per word. It must be sing along mm -hmm. style with a small motion added in by Adobe After Effects in order to achieve. <laughs> more Weird. eyes and attention per minute which is what makes content and separates it from so-so yeah. content I, so so what i think about that in terms of a record it that one gets to feeling that's what they are contributing even out to the digital ether is somewhat inadequate if it's not with things that are details like subtitles that bounce yeah. um and, yeah. and 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 so like so i sit back and i think about it, the record that i release that's just me and one guy in a room Yes. And I think about some of the other guys that I admire and that's do the same stuff that are just one guy or two guys in a room, um, you know, and 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 then I hear what you say, Libby, about how it, the, the rules are. There are no rules except the rules that you implement and you do what feels authentic, you know, or um, do what feels good, you know, and, and, and maybe the new re the rule is like, don't make a record if it doesn't feel good. Don't do anything yeah. that doesn't feel so. good. You know, well, and I'll, I'll augment what you're saying there that like. Okay, sure. If you're going to play, if you want to play by the rules of like, well, there are rules to like maximizing content viewers. Yeah. And, yeah. and sure. what you're yeah. saying with like sure. tracking subtitles and stuff, but you know, but if you don't want to play by that game, you don't have to. Right. Yeah. Like, I personally feel like I'm too old to figure out that stuff all of a sudden. Like, I don't know. <laughs> one day I woke up was over 40 and i was like well that's over there's so much though yeah. but yeah. to go along with all this jules you're i mean this is a legitimate thing and yeah. it's also a reoccurring it's a uh what's the word the spotification of like so the whole idea now with artists is that there is more more content just keep pumping out content it does the con the actual like quality of it is not so much what matters you just got to keep pumping it out you got to stay relevant you got to make such and such videos per day and you got to like it's antithetical to the whole creative process like if you want me to put out garbage well, I'll, what is he what is he what is he saying tommy boy if you want me to so shit what, in a box i'll shit in a box right like to what end right like to yeah. what end 
you know, so yeah, like I mean, three legged barstool yet again, you that, know, it's yeah. like there's got to yeah. be a balance here between, yeah. um, you know, contemporary experience expectations of yeah. of in terms of content release frequency, uh, what feels in terms of frequency that it's sustainable and authentic for you as an artist, authentic, um, yep. You know, I use that word, and like I say, I, I also hesitate to use the word authenticity because I have my own critiques of that word as well. Loaded. But I would, but I, yeah, it's loaded. Um, but yeah. I would, you know, but 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 part of it is that like I wish to play this game. I want to make albums that are big, sure. and, you know, and we, yeah, and, we and we all do, right? And but right. But, but, yeah. but more so than like a financial restraint of an independent artist, it's more like we wish to create the albums that are similar in style and method to the people that came before us and to honor this sort of tradition yeah. that we are paying homage to with every bit of our fiber of being, you know? And, yeah. um, mm -hmm. and so that's just more and more. I hear people say, Oh, we're doing low budget records now where we go and we spend a day, we do it. And that's the record. And sometimes that's really beautiful. Like, you know, you get someone yeah. like a Robert Ellis and Courtney Hartman in a room and they do mm -hmm. the, the dear John record awesome. and attribute to John, uh, to, to John Harper, man. Uh, that's an incredible record. And they, they did it with one mic between them. And, and, and so you get these really beautiful gems. Um, I haven't heard that I, record and I need to clearly, but, that I, sounds awesome. like, right but, I, but I feel like, like there's there's a danger here in that like you yeah. know because of not just economic constraints but because of the demand of frequency of content release mm -hmm. i'm hearing yeah. more musicians uh and i wouldn't say that they intend on lowering the quality of their output but i would say that the way that they're going about creating art is shifting in a yeah. way that affects the music itself that might be presented otherwise well and it drives yeah. me nuts in that way because like you know, like, let's say the expectation is to release an album or, or an EP or, or at least that many songs per year. I mean, let's look back at at some at some level that dilutes the art, because, you know, you think about like the career of like truly great songwriters that we love. How many records like let's say you've got you're lucky enough to have a 30 year career, right? Um, how many albums should that be? Right. Like, I, yeah. I think it's absurd pressure that, I mean, if you want a really great album and I want to make great albums, right. Yeah. I'm still an album geek. I still think it's a, Same. it's a, it's an art form that I, I really love to consume and to, to produce. So, you know, how many, how many records over a career is a great body of work? Is mm. it? I, I, I mean that fluctuates from genre yeah. to genre too. I That's mean, true. It, it like, we can't all we can't all be Prince. Yeah. <laughs> Just a I brilliant mean, album a year for yeah. the early pop days. You know. Beatles, Beach Boys, they all put out several records in a year. And yeah, just because that's true. It, and it, that's kind of where we're heading now. It's yeah, because it's kind of come back around, which is because weird. Because it's so oversaturated, we have to keep doing it in order to, you know, stay afloat. Relevant. Yeah. Well, um, they all used to do singles, you know, on 45s where you had the the A side and the B side. And I I think, you know, maybe maybe you could draw that corollary there, but but I don't know. To me, I think the overarching answer for me personally is if I get too bogged down in the idea that I'm not doing enough, I'm not going to do. And because <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get 
anxious and I'm going to focus so much on what I'm not doing that I'm not going to do what I need to be doing. So to me, it's always been, again, going back to that balance thing, doing doing what it takes to keep getting to do this. Right. That's that's the right. Yeah, that's that feels right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, doing what it takes, like. Um. And not just from a, you know, a, a standpoint of like making your audience and your listeners and your your fans, like the people who come out to see you happy, but like making yourself happy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that's that's the sweet spot, right? And again, tricky, but isn't it all? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I think eventually you just kind of, I don't know, I've gotten to the point where you just write what you like and uh, eventually people will catch up or they don't. Right. I think, I mean, the people who dig it will find it. They'll find it. Yeah. They'll find find it. The the trick is getting it, getting it in front of them, you know, getting there. And, and that's, Mm -hmm. I've, I've come to the realization that a lot of it is just playing shows at places that are kind of, you know, that you're kind of like strategically like this is a show where people are listening. Like those shows are few and far between. And man, the listening room shows are really like, I realized this last year is like, this is what I want to keep doing. Do I want to, do I want to truck to a place with my whole PA system and play for four hours and basically be the background to somebody's great Friday night, which is great for them. But I'd rather, I'd rather have a much. Well, I'm glad that I had those gigs you know, 10 years ago where I I was getting better because so much of it is doing the work to get better yeah. Um, and putting in those hours and paying those dues, I think is really important. And also learning how to deliver a song, learning how to entertain folks, learning how to look around and figure out when folks aren't having fun and how to change that. You learn that through those four hour gigs and and you can't can't trade that. for anything else now do i still want to do those now after doing this for 15 years no right. uh, <laughs> oh come on but i will say that i love playing with my band for three hour shows like i'll do yeah. that all day and if i could yeah. afford it and find enough people to pay us enough money for me to pay my guys and, and gals enough money to to do that i would play with the band every show i love that the most yeah, awesome. I do. I do miss playing with full band. Uh, I used to do several band shows a year, but this day and age is just Yash and Yimmy expensive. or, or you and me playing at each other. But y'all must have great bass players. Yeah. Yes, I do. But here we, here we go. Is, Jules is reoccurring hatred. I love hatred of bass players or the rhythm yeah. section. It's, I just, I just say that I, I haven't found my skinny Dennis. That's all, man. Oh, I'm man. hoping that through this this whole podcast, maybe I'll be united Somebody's with him like, or her, you know? Hey, I want to play bass for you. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's funny how like it's, like, people do that. And then it's like a few days later, they call back and they're like, you know, man, I, I think I know a guy. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and well, yeah, but it's, I will tell you that it's a lot to ask of any bass player to know you before you know your, you know, what you're going to do before you know, yeah, across the whole body of work that's That's in several different keys. Yeah. You know, like, can I, let me just, as a brief aside, let me just tell you this funny story about a mandolin (laughs) player that came out to hang out with me. And it was, it's like an inside joke between my fiddle player and I, uh, 
this like, why not sort of, uh, you know, voice inflection because we had a gig. It was one of those four hour gigs and a um, man- mandolin player came and sat in with me. He brought one mandolin, which is great. But, you know, I, Chisholm carries three fiddles, man. And yeah, uh, because I he tunes one hat down a half step, one up a half step. Yep. And uh, and so I go through all these different keys. And uh, and I was like, oh, so, uh, brother, you got a capo on you or something with that Mandy? And he's like, no. And he's like, you got a second one? I'm like, no. I'm like, okay, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, Chisholm's like, well, you know, I, do, I brought a mandolin with me if you want to use a second one. You tune a half step down. No worries. There you go. And he's like, no, it's, it's cool. I'm a purist. I can do it. And I'm like, great. You know, cool. Okay. Awesome. Oh, okay. But I was like, you don't learn today, you know, because, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, we're starting out in, uh, in, in, in E flat, bro. You know, and yeah, we're going oh, to, then, we're, then we're going to B flat minor. Uh, and then we're going to, to you know, uh, E flat or E flat major. And then, uh, then we're going to switch things up to C sharp for a little bit. You know, it's like the whole set list is organized by ascending keys in a way. So, yep. anyway, so. <laughs> G sharp. Oh, okay. You know, C sharp. All right. I and got it. And at, play, the, at the end plays of the, the same at the, thing every at, time. At the end of the <laughs> night, man, like four hours of this, just like calling out obscure keys, right? To a guy who doesn't have a capo, man. He's like, that doesn't even exist. You know, I'm like, I'm like, G sharp is like, why not? You know, <laughs> that's the best. Why not? Why best. not? So yeah. Anyway, so I just yeah, it's 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 hard to find somebody to know when you have a bunch of stuff across a bunch of keys to to know yep. you as good to know that. I mean, it's it's like I don't even know how you how do you can begin to ask someone that sometimes once you're three four albums deep, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's. I, where this comes from, I guess. I think I think you have commitment commitment issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. it. No, I, I just think you well just don't know any bass players. <laughs> well, I need to find some bass players. Uh, yeah. I probably but do. after this podcast, no bass player is going to talk to him. I'm no. Sorry, yeah, no, it's it's that's the whole point of this podcast is to run all the other bass <laughs> players all off the bass players away. because and then have, you really want. I'm intrigued by your organizing a set list by ascending. <laughs> ascending yeah. capos. And he well, nails yeah. it too. Like he Jules is an excellent stage like presence. He's awesome. He is. And so he just really like, I don't know how it's like a scientific thing. I don't know how you do Thank it. You. Jules. Well, I, I, like I, I just had this discussion a little bit ago with like uh, Jeff and Michael Plankenhorn and, and Michael O'Connor when I was yeah. talking about their album, how it flows, their new album that they let me listen to, which is great. Uh, oh, you got to hear it. I nice. got to hear it, dude. Yeah. Um, so but they from song to song, it flows in a way that leaves that record being a listenable, re-listenable record. Yep. And and I was asking about their methodology for that, because like I in my mind, what you do is you ascend in keys. And if you're building a set list, you ascend in keys, but you also take into account energy levels of songs. You rate your yeah. 10 songs you're playing on a one to 10 level in terms of energy. And you, yeah, you stick sure. strategic numbered energy songs in places that break from your key ascension in order to facilitate banter or facilitate a drop of energy so that you can facilitate a raising of energy. Um, yeah. Like that's, Man. that's, that's <laughs> yep. how I go about it. And I, and I write, I could show you my whole system. That's like, uh, how you, oh, how you I'm make it. into this big time. So, so <laughs> thank you. Yeah, my, so, my mouth is a gape at the moment, but so, but so, I mean, but this right. is this is yeah. How must one? I, I don't know. I, I tend to really slow my thoughts down and think about like, okay, big picture. How would you go about doing this yeah. in the most impactful, maximal sort of way? Um, and I got I got off on this. What were we talking about originally? With like, how much you hate bases? Well, hold on. I want to keep talking to, about. But just to be, I've done something sort of similar. But the okay. way I do it is with 
I have developed like these little triplets of songs, like groups oh, of three yeah. songs. Yeah. Because like on band gigs, especially, you know, you kind of want like a two original to one cover ratio. Yeah. So I have found that there are and I like I sometimes like to do these little triplets in the same key. So like three songs that go together in the key of D that like do what you're talking about, where they it's the like the dynamics of the set yeah. list and energy. But then those little triplets become modular and you can kind of um, yeah, move them around. Move them yeah. around, and I know that they work because I've. But I'm super intrigued by these. Do you do, them, do you do them on banded, uh, Libby, with like a, a segue in between the songs and kind of make it one? Yeah. So that's what we'll do is um, then we'll do like uh, you know we just go straight into the next song, or sometimes yeah. we'll like work on a transition. Um, so it's just kind of seamless, and that was something that really helped us when we were doing like you know, kind of bigger shows and stuff and trying yeah. to be like a lot more pro with what we were doing instead of like, you know, just a a bar gig or something where it would be yeah. more like a real stage show. And, you know, we would end one song and then go straight to the other and really work on those transitions. I think that kind of polishes where you can uh, really uh, make a difference on a band show. Yeah. Um, you know that, uh, that I've heard this method before once from, Jeff Canada, when when he he and I spoke, he spoke that this that he has these three song groups together, and that's there. He moves them around a set list. So like if he kicks off a song on one of the start of three, he the, the whole band knows they're doing the three song set of yeah. nice. You know, so yeah. that's nice. They have a little short this, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Very cool. Now totally I'm going to start cool. doing those little groups in ascending key order and see what happens. Oh, man. I just feel like from one song to the next, you wish to break. The, the problem with this method, though, Libby, is what you're going to spend mm -hmm. a lot of time tuning after you put a capo somewhere else. Well, yeah. and that's right. the other advantage that's, to the, the triplets. See? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's how I build mine is based on where I'm putting the capo. So yeah, I, it, if I'm going to I keep the capo there for a little while or if it's going to move it up one or down, but I don't. I don't, I save all the taking it off for either the beginning or close to the end or somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do something similar. I have a lot of a string of songs that I've usually played it back to back together. Yeah. Um, that's interesting though. I have a lot of drop D songs too. That just yeah, they so yes, kind of sounded yeah. same. Yeah, I know they end up sounding kind of samey. <laughs> so I try to, I try to change that up, but I love drop D. So I have I'm a lot of songs capoed on the sixth fret. So yeah, you do. That's true. Yeah. You know? My, uh, Husband Chuck, he he'll do a capo three G shape, you know, like then we call it the key of Chuck. The key of Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of his songs. Are, yeah, you you find what key you're good in and, and just work, stick with man. it. Yeah. And the songs yeah. somehow like they they don't. It's not like they sound samey at all. Like they're just uh, yeah. He's also a genius. So, so let me ask you this. Yeah, Libby, he's then, awesome. <laughs> while we're on the topic of like uh, capos and stuff, man, like when you're writing, and and I, I don't know how you go about your writing process, whether you write melody and lyric first and build outward or if you got some chords you're trying to find a melody over but at some point in this process as a writer you know you're kind of find trying to find a home for that what key you're going to put that in right and and the and, last thing yeah. that i do when i finish a song is i play it in pretty much every key and see which sounds best for my voice Wow. Me too. Yes. That's the usually why it ends up on the sixth yeah. fret. I'm just going up and up and up until <laughs> there I'm like, it is. Hey, That's the sweet spot. <laughs> wow. 
Sweet. And because sometimes different voicings sound better. Like that's true. Uh, so I, I just try a bunch of different things. But like when I think a song is is almost done, then I will. Uh, that's like the last thing I do because again, it's about presenting your song in the best way possible, and that means uh, doing yourself the most favors in terms of where it fits in your voice. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And that just fits in your voice too. Like for uh, like in your style and the way you perform too, oh. like good guitar playing and or whatever. Yeah. Cause I, I can write a song in open E and then realize that I'm just not going to play those chords the same. If I, I can use a capo here, make it a, make mm-hmm. it a G shape and, and pick it out that way. And it's just the style changes, but it's, it's so much closer to who I am as a person, as a performer. So what the song needs to be too. Exactly. Yeah. I had to relearn a bunch of mine because when I was younger, I was real into screamy stuff. (laughs) And so now that I'm a grown ass man and my voice is dropped, I had to, so I've had to, but I've had some songs that I wrote. So for instance, um, Jimmy, that song that I played until the train rolls away has a drop a down to a G and I capo the second fret. And like, Mm -hmm. now that I try, I can't, I can't sing it anymore in that key. So I actually learned how to play it uh, in a D shape and I capo it in a different place. And I like kind of figured it out, you know, kind of the finger picking arrangement. Like if it's, if it's your song, you can always find a way to arrange it like that. You can kind of just, I don't know. It, songs are always, I feel like my, my voice is only going to get lower. So I'm going to have to figure That's out better, of, better and easier ways. I, I, I will say yeah. that like these days by Jackson Brown, if you go look up any video from him as he progresses in age, yeah. the capo drops like, further down the guitar. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yep. So I've got those songs for sure where I'm just doing that, but I'm going to bring the capo down. Yeah. Mine got higher. Like when we, that was one of the things that Patterson and I did when we visited all those redemption songs, we changed a lot of keys. Oh, nice. A lot of them moved up because my, as I became more of what I, well, as I, as I became a professional singer, to be honest, uh, my voice, my range got a lot higher. Nice. Mm. And a lot stronger. And so like 10 years later, those songs fit in different places better. I I noticed that too. For the, the songs that I wrote, you know, straight out of high school into college that mm-hmm. I still play. But during the six years that I was a full-time musician, um, I found myself caping up higher. Um, yeah. Yeah, but then work. coming back after COVID and having COVID five times during the time period, my <laughs> voice changed and now it, it started moving it back down a little bit. But um, yeah, my divorce album, it's the lowest songs I've ever like the lowest keys I've ever written my songs in. So it's quite interesting. Um, Hell yeah. Experiencing that. Cause usually I'm always doing falsetto shit. And mm-hmm, so, you go out. yeah, <laughs> which I do on this record, but not as much. Um, it's, it's an intriguing journey. Uh, yeah. I, w- I would say, man, like the more you use your voice as a muscle to develop it, that is also something that will lead you to writing. Like yeah. I always thought like, man, can I write a song that I can't sing? You know, can I write a song that I can't play? Because it, you have to reach further in your writing than mm. than what one is capable of. You know, it's a like we know not what a body can do, so we must experiment <laughs> in order to find out. You know, I know um, for a fact I can write a song that I can't sing. I mean, I was stranded in my cousin's apartment one time. He kidnapped me years ago and took me up to San Marcos, and I his 
uh, roommate was sleeping. And so I was just playing his guitar, guitar very quietly and just singing. And I was singing kind of falsetto, but not really. And then I, so I wrote the song and I loved the song. And the next day I tried to sing it and I was like, nope, it's gonna, <laughs> there's no way I can sing the song. And I tried all these different keys. It was Weird. not meant for me to sing. Weird. Hey, so I gave know, it, I gave it to Deborah Scott to sing. Oh, nice. That's awesome, man. Uh, w- one more thing on like, on this whole doing something that you can't do sort of thing. You know, um, uh, I mentioned Jason Isbell is like the sort of, modern sort of point to this guy as a songwriter for a lot of different things. But one thing he did recently that's very pertinent to what we're talking about is he released, I think, a, a, a Instagram video of a Bon Iver cover. And he's yeah, singing I this up falsetto. And the comments were just like, like just if you imagine someone with the popularity of Jason Isbell doing something that his audience feels like he probably, like some of his audience members really loved it. I yeah. I was like, I don't I don't understand what's going on because I don't even know about. <laughs> Did it not sound? Yeah. Well, it was it was weird. It was weird. It was questionable because I, <laughs> I mean, I'm very I. I it was I strange. Was, it was strange. Thank you, Garrett. If you, you know, yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. it was it was strange. Um, so but. But damn, dude, the balls on that dude to do something like that. Totally. You know, I think he got his teeth fixed too. Is, is so, so what it he was, was at saying that is time, that, yeah. Yeah, he got his teeth fixed and he was like, now I can do a little bit more falsetto. Check it out. And I was like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, still awesome. Well, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not even, I'm really not a fan of Van Morrison's falsetto, even though he does it mm. on a bunch of stuff. It's just, but I don't know. Some people have a really good falsetto. Yeah. Prince. Speaking of Prince, going back to Prince. Prince. <laughs> Brian Wilson. Yeah. Well, Brian Wilson. Oh, God. Well, well, I think we're all like admirers of albums, obviously, you know, and we all seek <laughs> to sort of release the best albums that we can. And uh, and I think about, you know, going back to the Texas songwriter thing, I think about someone like Towns and the way that like... Yeah. There's so many different versions of his songs on different records, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and we, we talked about how, like, maybe there are no rules and the rules are do what feels good. Um, but, you know, there's also like some rules that are like weird like that. Like, I mean, I've always been like, well, Towns, you got all these versions of like waiting to die and all these versions of lungs and. I love them, but I if I was your manager, yeah. I don't think I would have allowed this to, to happen. Yeah. You know, um not only that. Why are you letting all these different versions? <laughs> yeah. I've got like I've got multiple versions of the same songs. I've got like, three versions of Houston. Cool. I like that though. Yeah. I think well, and I also think sorry, Jana and I talk about music and yeah. all day long she needs to have a constant text conversation going and <laughs> something we were talking about like you know i i make americana country music but i mostly listen to like kind of indie alt stuff um mm. but uh which a, an old bandmate of mine used to make fun of me she's like why don't you make that kind of music and i was like listen it's like this you know i like all <laughs> kinds of movies i watch lots of different kinds of movies but if i was gonna make a movie it would be like spielbergian indiana jones goonies type stuff right nice so that's the way i feel about <laughs> music like i make yeah. american country music that i like to do but jan and i were talking about like how cool it would be like to you know do like a country record version of a song and then go or uh, make a record of my next record is going to be like full band 
country. It's more on the rock end of what I do. Um, nice. Oh, that's right. Yes. I'm excited yeah, yeah. about it. I, I, I'm hoping, I think that by the festival, I may be able to announce on stage who's going to produce my next record. So that's really exciting. You have yeah. until tomorrow. I know until tomorrow. I'll tell you guys when we go quiet. Uh, but it's just not official, official yet. But then, you know, we were like, well, why don't we make like, wouldn't it be fun to just go make like an alternate version of all those songs with like a bunch of beat boops and synths and stuff? Yes. <laughs> why not? Right. I mean, they're still songs. I mean, it's still good songs. Have yeah, you, but it's so- like just a different. It's just a different, but it's yeah. just like, if it's a good song, it's a good song, you know? Like, did you, you know Andrew Delaney, right, Libby? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, so Andrew at Swerfa was talking about Kate Klim's record, mm-hmm. I think it's her name, and she, like, she basically plays these kind of piano ballad sort of things. She's awesome, um, but she, this was her divorce record, she she told Andrew. That's how she presented it, and uh, so she presented some of the demos for him, uh, and he was like, okay, this is cool, but what is your guilty pleasure music? Right. And uh, she was like, well, I mean, if if we were talking about guilty pleasure, like stuff I'd listen to that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't tell anybody. She said, uh, the theme song from The Goonies by Cindy Lauper. I love that song. And so because of that, Andrew Delaney made these, like the whole album is like these roller rink, like yes. skate bops with like these very introspective, like, divorce record it it's freaking awesome like it's just yeah. but it's just like it was his way of like kind of getting her out of her comfort zone but also yeah. doing something for her that was felt nostalgic and felt you know safe and kind of and, and it made a great different totally different record for her and i i just think if a song's a good a song's a good song is a song's a good song it's just the same you know it just keeps going it can it can be multi-interpretive you can do it in any kind of form and i don't know Right. Well, maybe, maybe for somebody like, like, I'm not the most prolific songwriter. Like I tend to obsess over them and let's, you know, so I don't churn out a bunch. I like, I'll, I'll start and finish. Well, I'll start and not finish a lot. Pretty prolific at bad unwritten songs. Have lots of pieces. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But the ones that I do finish, I feel pretty strong about, but I, uh, you know, so I do love the idea of like alt versions and, for that purpose, I mean, especially just for me, again, just not being the most prolific finisher of songs. So I don't know. Again, no rules. Let's have fun. Let's see what happens, right? Man, I want to say that, like, you know, it's when you talk about, like, going and doing everything all beep boop, you know, like, and going to take these songs and, and go and remake them, right? Like, there, there are certain bands that, like, I wish that, like, bands, some bands that just experimented more to become something then they stayed to one note and then there's bands like radiohead that just like can y'all guys go back to the bends for just one that's album exactly, please you know that's <laughs> right? exactly what i was thinking you know, of yeah yeah right so so there's that stuff right but like i you know you mentioned the beep boop stuff and it's like man i i consider myself making like americana traditional country at times i straddle a rock and roll line but man mm. like I got a dubstep thing that I don't tell people about that I don't really associate or speak, Maybe you know, sure. like, but, mm-hmm. but, but what I'm, but what I'm saying is that like, I wasn't, there's a, there's a writer named Josh Rouse, R-O-U-S-E. I love Josh Rouse. Yeah. I love. He was also big in Nashville when I was there, 0205. He was big, oh. man. But I, I love, I like the Nashville record. My favorite is his 1972 album. Me too. Uh, 19, oh, but, ah, I love that you know this, man. Because okay. all y'all, man, just like, I, I, I go, I've been gone years saying Josh Rouse and not like, 
silence, you know? Um, but, uh, but I think about what Josh Rouse does and what we expect out of him. And then all of a sudden love in the modern age comes out in 2018 and what a beautiful sort of, and you just mentioned that was a divorce record, Garrett. And like how, like he was saying all these things over, uh, roller ring synthesizer stuff. And, and Josh Rouse kind of does something similar there where he talks about these, these, melancholic sort of like relationship issues over like vintage synthy sort of sounds that are nice. almost like vapor vapor wave stuff you know yeah. Um, yeah. nice yeah so anyway that's great stuff you guys are bringing up really cool stuff but, and also jules like i mean if you're dub stuff dubstep stuff i can't say that <laughs> i mean if you feel like it's too far outside of what you're doing on your own then like call it a side project call it something else like name it you know legitimately why it makes side projects right like yeah in fact jana uh got it i could talk about jana all day but also just play with her on sunday and so we spent like four hours in the car yakking about all this stuff uh she just set up a side project for her instrumental like synthy beep boop stuff that she didn't know what to do with so she uh made up a name for it which of course i'm blanking on right now it's like golden hour i don't know that's her production company i don't remember it's late anyway uh, <laughs> <laughs> and i forgot to turn into a pumpkin but uh but i think that's cool and again another option like yeah. make the stuff you want to make and mm-hmm. and if, if it's if it's like artistically not what you want to do like as your jules taylor stuff then make it something else send it to me <laughs> right. And yeah, as soon as me, I want to listen. <laughs> it's it's like on a SoundCloud, man. It's L O L O U S Y lousy. So I can say these beats are lousy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Anyway, but yeah, I just want to I just want to say beep boop real quick because everyone beep else boop, has. Man. Um, beep boop. But uh, also That's the title of the episode. Our, no, <laughs> well, our Boom. episode with ordinary elephant, we 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 called it Whittly Wah. Because so now over this one's gonna be uh Libby Libby Coke, songwriter at law and the bee boops or something like that. So <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Songwriter at law. That's cool. Well, man. I have to practice law in the morning too, so I could <laughs> talk about songs all night, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll let you go here shortly. Um no, no we won't. <laughs> um does anyone have any wrap up questions before I we I do my my finale question? I do but I'll ask you at the festival. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's been such a right joy then. talking to you. It's really it's always a joy talking to all three of you guys. I love y'all. And oh. I'm excited to see y'all next weekend. I'm, I'm sorry, tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. <laughs> bring that bring that telly. Well, yeah, Jana's borrowing it right now, so she'll bring it. So is it all rosewood? Like the is the whole oh my yeah, the God. neck and everything. It's it's so sweet. Does it weigh like 40 pounds? <laughs> it's not that heavy. It's not as heavy as you would think. It's actually pretty light. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we always finish my little pedal board project I have on the coffee table. I want to see that. Yeah, it's very compact and therefore, uh, like, like my vision is to do it on like on a pedal on a like one of those nano boards, right? Mm -hmm. They're all mini pedals, and it's almost done, but it's all like very, very tight. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Can't wait to see it. 
so we always end every episode with this question. Um, it's we call it the almost famous question because it's from the movie Almost Famous. Uh, nice. It's the final question that William, the the character, asks. And I've been doing this since we started the fest or the festival, yes, but also the organization. This is one of the first questions yeah, we so started cool. asking people. So, and I just love the response. It's a generic question, but the responses we get are so like beyond and it's just so it's always exciting to see what people are going to say so pressure on you yeah yeah (laughs) so i'm expecting yours to be amazing anyway uh, here we go no pressure (laughs) libby coke what do you love about music sorry that's the answer from the movie (laughs) yeah i think Um, that one's copyrighted oh yeah dang it cameron crow um i love that it consistently brings me joy in ways that pretty much nothing else can. Yes. Beautiful. A short yeah. answer, but also can we take some time part. to appreciate that Libby has seen almost famous unlike all of our other guests? <laughs> yeah. More than half are like, what the fuck are you talking <laughs> about? Sorry, I just not only. <laughs> yeah. I love but, yeah. that movie. It's a classic. Yeah. It's same. legitimately my favorite movie of all time for mis- nostalgic reasons, but mm-hmm. also I love it. just because it's such a good movie. Really great Dude, the use of the use of Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's in that, mm-hmm. that movie yeah. in that scene just I mean I can go on for hours on the, the soundtrack, but we're here to talk about Libby and we're here to also let Libby go now so she can sleep and we, practice we gotta long. talk at some point in the future, Libby, about how yes, like please. everything, you know, that bleeds through your writing, uh, you know, at some point. Like I feel like I wanna know how like your your law stuff bleeds through in your writing because it's like if i'm trying like like (laughs) you know i don't know man it's like i mean i feel like there's i don't know there's a lot there around uh like you know Locke and rousseau or something around like Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah maybe like this i feel like it's there's like a fundamental like sense of justice and like i don't know (laughs) i sniff either a second episode or um Maybe, like we said earlier, a workshop with Terry Klein. Workshop and, and would be awesome. Oh, man, it'd be amazing. So, all right, Libby, we'll let you go to hey, sleep guys. now. Hi, Libby. We'll see I'm going to try to be a couple hours, but I got I to wind down, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I'll be ready to party when I get to Corpus with you guys. Forever. All right. You, I can't right. Wait. Get some rest tonight so you can party tomorrow. We'll talk, we'll talk to you. We'll talk Thanks, to you soon. Guys. Can't wait to see you. Bye, Libby. All right. Bye. Good night. Good night.